Why are Bible-believing scientists getting fired? Welcome to Answers News for Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. In today's top story, a geneticist. Tim Chafee, and joining me today is Patricia Engler and Avery Foley, and we're going to be covering these uh, series of articles, but let's jump right into this one right away. So this one, a Russian geneticist was at, speaking at a scientific conference, apparently, and he was essentially affirming what the Bible teaches in Genesis chapter 5, when it talks about how Adam lived in 930 years, then Seth lived in 912, and most of these patriarchs pre-flood that we have the record of were living over 900 years. And so he was affirming that, and then he was fired as a result. Now, uh, we've talked about this back in the green room, and it's a little bit odd because the way the article sets it up, it seems like kind of a slam dunk case of religious discrimination, but maybe that's not the case because we maybe we won't have enough information. It's hard to tell without the context of what kind of talk he was giving, what conference it was at. Obviously, it's in Russia, so there's we don't... Like it's in Russian, <laughs> so there's only so much you can do. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of things we don't know. But what's what's interesting is you see someone who he was the head of a prestigious genetics institute there in Russia. So someone who holds a really high position in the sciences, affirming what the Bible teaches and, and believing what the Scripture teaches about the long ages of people living um, af- before the flood and then starts to decline um, after the flood. You can see that in the genealogies in Genesis chapter 11. You see that decline. Yeah, it's laudable that we have here a scientist who's vocally drawing on a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. Um, A couple things, though, like it's best practice, which I didn't necessarily see going on in uh, his comments to clarify what's observational science, what's historical science. So from a biblical worldview, uh, historically, um, God created the world, uh, human sin corrupted the world. That's why we have things like mutations going on. That Mm -hmm. gives us some workable predictions that we can then use for more observational science, like what some of our researchers here do. But he was kind of Um, adding some things into the Bible that aren't necessarily there, at least from what I could see. Um, He was basically saying that uh, uh, bad habits and what theologians call sin, he says, kind of conflating the two um, can cause mutations that are passed on to your genes. I could only find smoking as something that causes uh, germline traits later down the road, mutations there. Uh, It could give the wrong idea that unhealthy kids could be like direct punishment for sin or that um, your sin influences your genes, which of course the Bible doesn't necessarily say so just a, a, some words of caution there but again yeah, laudable yeah. to see scientists drawing on scripture yeah yeah he seemed to be conflating some things that might be compatible but doesn't mean that there's a cause and effect relationship between them because if you think about the blind man that Jesus encountered one of them and the mm-hmm. disciples asked who sinned this guy or his parents that he was born blind and she said neither one it's, it's not about that but you're going to see the glory of God and so you can't take this approach all the time that because there's something bad has happened to somebody, it's because of a one particular sin. I mean, in one sense, you can go back to the very first sin and say, that's why all these bad things have right. happened. Which um, he, does, he does say here that, you know, we were made by God and then we fell, everything fell into decay just due to sin. And it's like, well, that's true. We were designed to live forever. Our bodies were designed to, for eternity. And then, of course, sin entered creation and with sin came death. And that's why we die. The 900-year the lifespans are nothing compared to how long we were supposed to live. Right. But because of sin, that obviously has resulted in death, and that's why we need Christ and his death on the cross for us. And, and so for him being fired, what, what was he doing? It seems as if he's presenting at a scientific conference and yet didn't really provide the scientific evidence for what he was saying. It, it would, right. it, we were talking before, it would be like our astronomer Danny Faulkner, if he was invited to present on the scientific age of the earth at a conference, and he went there and just said, well, God says that the Bible says that God made everything, the, the sun, moon, and stars on day four, 
And he kind of left it at that and never really gave the scientific argument for it. Well, he's not really doing what he's invited to do. And that's kind of, yeah. at least the way but the again, article was written. we don't have written. a lot of context, yeah. so it's like, it's hard to know for sure yeah. what exactly was going on. Yeah, we do see scientists who are being discriminated against for their biblical worldviews, but just make sure yeah. it's for the right reason and that you're giving a solidly scientific case based on scripture and not necessarily uh, putting things into the Bible that aren't there. Mm-hmm. Right, now you can look at other, I mean, if you're curious about this, did people really live that long? Well, yes, they did. The Bible tells us they yeah. did. And so you have the eyewitness testimony of God himself who inspired this telling us he did. We do have a, a similar document. It's not the same thing, but you have one of the most ancient documents called the Sumerian Kings List where at that time they had have 10 generations before this great flood and in those 10 generations people were were reigning for like 20,000 years so really really long lifespans and then as soon as the flood hits they immediately dropped like 1500 years and so it's uh, kind of parallels the biblical, even though the numbers aren't the same. They've been and, exaggerated over and time. E- and yeah. even the seventh one was taken to heaven, just like in the oh, biblical. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It is interesting. Um, so there's, there's a lot of similarities there. And it seems as if the Sumer- Sumerians knew that history and kind of marked, you know, wrote it down, but also embellished it, uh, is what it, it seems like. So you do have an ancient record. Again, that's still not observable science. It's more of a historical science. But mm-hmm. anyways, it's an interesting article, and it, it, I'm not sure if what he did you know, should lead to him being fired for doing that, but um, it would be nice to have more context. All right, now mm-hmm. on to... Uh, if, if people do want to learn a little more about that uh, long lifespans before the flood... No, this was the... That's for eugenics. That's, that's um, New Answers Book 2, not Book 3, that has the chapter on um, That's the one with the blue lifespans. cover, right? Yes, the blue okay. cover one. All right, well, let's go on to another scientist, although a lot of what he does, I don't know, really qualifies as science <laughs> as much as it's more political and pandering and <laughs> lots yeah. of other things. Um, so Neil deGrasse Tyson, if you've ever watched documentaries on you know, Discovery Channel or other things, you've probably seen him as one of the talking heads. Um, and in this one, he's saying that everybody is special, which we would agree, but for different reasons. We would say every <laughs> single human being is special because we are all made in God's image. And that is why we are mm-hmm. unique. That is why we are set apart from the rest of creation. That's why we are um, special more than the animals and the plants and everything else we see around here. Um, but he says everything and everyone is special. How far does that go, Patricia? Well, he's saying that it's because we're made of stardust, so we're part of the cosmos, so everything in the universe is basically the same. We're made from the same material, so therefore we're all equally special, equally the same. He must have got that from Disney Wish, right? Because that's <laughs> the song in that movie that just came out was all about how you're just stardust. So... Yeah, right. And I mean, he's kind of drawing on this while, you know, you can feel this sense of connectedness to the cosmos because of that. And usually when people want to talk about being connected to the universe, they're, they're looking for something bigger than themselves that they can be a part of and feel some sort mm-hmm. of spiritual connection to. Um, so we expect that as people made in the image of God and God has designed us to be part of something bigger than ourselves. We are connected to uh, God, our creator, um, except he's kind of trying to import the spirituality into a materialistic worldview, which you can't do. If you're going to stick with materialism, it's only matter that we're made of. And Which he is very much a materialist. And he's yes, very clear about that in many things. Yes, so. absolutely. Right. So we just have to stick with the material. And the material is equally meaningless. So you're not actually meaningful if you're made from stardust because the stars are so, uh, also aren't meaningful at all. So it causes some issues. 
Yeah, it's, it, as you watch the video clip, so this article was reporting on a video that he made, um, and he, as he's discussing this and how, like, you know, you might look up at the heavens and think, I'm so small and I'm so insignificant because look how big everything is and we're just this one little planet in the middle of, you know, all this. And he's like, but that's the wrong way of looking at it because you were made from the stars or so you're connected to them, you're, you're special that way. It's just like his whole tone and everything he was saying was like, oozing worship of creation instead of worship of the one who made creation. Um, you, just, you just couldn't escape it. It's like every person is designed for worship. And when you don't worship God, that doesn't mean you don't worship anything. You will worship something. Usually it's yourself, <laughs> but oftentimes it will be creation. And you just see that coming out of him, that just worship of creation of we're all stardust, we're all part of this because we're made of the same thing as everything else ultimately. You're no different from the trees and the brook and the woodland creatures. You're all connected. And that's what makes us special is that we're not different at all. And he's sort of repeating what Lawrence Krauss, who's a, yeah. a professor of Arizona, one of the so. Arizona schools, um, who had, he's popular for being on this video several years back where he's teaching this class and he's talking about how we're all stardust. It's the most poetic thing he can think of. And he says, forget Jesus because the stars died so that you can live. And so uh, that's yes. kind of what Neil deGrasse Tyson is, is saying here. And mm -hmm. as Avery put it, yeah, he's, he kind of worships and serves the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. As Romans 1 talks about, and that's what, people, that's what happens when you abandon the creator and refuse to acknowledge him as the creator. Ultimately, you will worship something else. And that's what we see here. And mm -hmm. it, it's really strange. He's saying, think about how special you are because you're exactly like everything else. Right. That's the exact opposite of what special is. Right. Special <laughs> means you stand out from others and from other things. Um, so he apparently doesn't know the meaning of special. Yeah, it doesn't work. <laughs> and, and, and for him to say, like, I'm special because I'm the same as you, as the tree, as the brook, all of that... Intuitively, we as humans know that's not true. That's why the government doesn't put rules on brooks and trees don't and woodland creatures. Right. <laughs> because Brazil, other, some places are doing that. Well, they try to give rights, but they don't yeah. give them rules. That's They're not true. like, right. these yeah. are the things you can do you as a hedgehog running true. around in the, you know, the woodland creatures. Here's right. what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Because we understand humans are different from everything else. We are unique. We're not like the animals. We're not like the trees and the brook. We aren't. And as much as he wants to say, oh, we're just like them, we as humans intuitively know we're not. And we know, like, that's why we have government and we have, like, the justice system and all of that set up to govern human behaviors because we understand that we have, uh, we have moral agency. We can be held to a standard that we don't hold anything else to because we're not like them. And what he's missing, of course, is we're made in the image of God. We're not made from stardust. We are made from the dust of the earth by God, the first man, woman from his side. And given the, you know, God breathed into Adam and then he became a living soul marked with the very image of God. That's what makes us unique and special. And we as humans intuitively know there's something different about us, but it's God's word that gives us the answer. And of course, that's where he's not going to go. He's not going to go to God's word. Instead, he's going to appeal to, well, the stars exploded and they made the planet and then the, the elements on the planet gave life and then life evolved into you. And so you're just like everything else. But that's simply not true. And it results in this meaningless, like you were saying, like if, if 
you're made of just this matter that's meaningless, well, then you're meaningless too, right. as opposed to the biblical worldview that says, no, you're made in the image of God for eternity to glorify him. Yeah, and without that theistic perspective, you're actually undermining human rights because, like what he's saying, um, the unique qualities and characteristics associated with being humans do not make humans special compared with any other matter in the universe. So again, you're the same as the woodland creatures and stuff. Right. <laughs> so basically, you're equally as meaningless as the leeches, the dirt clods, the bacteria. You're all made from the same stuff together. You're equally meaningless. And uh, that doesn't give a basis for human rights that causes a yeah. lot of downstream social issues. Absolutely. Uh, now, one thing that, that he does and uh, some other scientists do, rightfully, they are in awe of the cosmos. When yeah. they look up and they see the stars and they see the planets, yeah. they're, they're amazed at what they're looking at. And, and that's a good thing because the heavens declare the glory of mm -hmm. God. When we look up at the stars at night, we yeah. should be amazed at how powerful God our creator is. But when things. you erase the creator from the picture that sense of awe has to be shifted somewhere else. Yeah. And so yeah. he shifts I mean, it onto humanity. Just so look at some of the things God made in, just in the heavens alone. Right. And you're just like, <laughs> <laughs> and it should give you a sense of awe of not, I am stardust. <laughs> but no, I am made of the dust of the ground and the creator of the universe loved me enough to step into history and die on the cross in my place so I could spend eternity with him. And, and so he, Carl Sagan was the guy who wrote a book called Pale Blue Dot. He did the original mm. show called Cosmos and Neil deGrasse Tyson did two follow-up programs. That, well, what Carl Sagan did in Pale Blue Dot, he said, you know, we're just like an insignificant speck on an insignificant little planet, this little blue dot on this huge universe, so we're nothing special at all. And you can turn that around and you can look at it and say, how amazingly special yeah. are we that the creator of the universe who made something so vast and, and huge and unimaginably large cares about us? When I consider yeah. the stars, the hand, you know, the, yeah. the, the firm, his handiwork, what is man that you are mindful of him, Psalm 8 talks about. And that's the, that's the perspective we should have on it. So we're looking at the same things, but we have a completely different mm -hmm. perspective and we reach completely different conclusions as a result. All right, have we done with Neil deGrasse Tyson for today? <laughs> All right, well, let's go on to another one. Marriage has a monopoly on legal benefits, and it shouldn't, according to this opinion piece in the Washington Post. So there are, um, when it comes to insurance, you know, health insurance, that sort of thing, and maybe for certain tax reasons, where married couples enjoy certain benefits that either single or maybe couples who are living together but are not married or maybe two friends living together but are not married that they don't have. And so this article, um, it's not your typical push toward polyamory like we've seen in some of our other ones where you have multiple people all living together in a, uh, in a relationship and they're pushing for you know four or five people in a relationship saying we should have the same rights, we should have the same tax break, that sort of thing. This isn't necessarily that article. It may be what they're, what they're pushing toward, but this right, one... Right, might be a more subtle drift in that direction, but they're not overtly saying that, yeah. Yeah, so Avery, why don't you jump in on this one? So they were, they were talking here about how, obviously, like, under, like, our tax system and everything, married couples have benefits that other people don't, like you were saying, and they're like, well, what about people who don't marry, but they have, like, committed friendships, people they've been friends with for forever, maybe they've even, like, they live together as roommates, and they've been living together for 15, 20, whatever years, and they talked about some of the the, the downsides people face, like, if uh, you've, you know, you're best friends with this person, and one of you passes away, the other person doesn't get bereavement leave to be able to like grieve the loss of that really significant friendship and stuff. Um, and so some of those points were like, okay, that's in an interesting thing to think about and think through some of like what employers could do to help their employees, things like that. But the whole basis for this is uh, that the article is basically we shouldn't keep marriage as this special institution. We expanded it to include same-sex marriage. We should also explain it to include committed friendships and things like that in order to give dignity, is the words they use, to those relationships. 
And in a biblical worldview, we understand that friendship is wonderful. It is a wonderful gift from God, but marriage is something totally different. Marriage is two becoming one flesh. It's a, a new household forming and starting. It's not the same thing as a friend who you may love deeply and be willing to like, you know, die for because you love your friend that much. We see that even in the Bible with like David and Jonathan, like how much they cared for one another as friends, but it's not the same thing as marriage. And marriage is an institution God designed for culture, for the flourishing of human society. And as soon as you try to, they say here that our culture could stand to move beyond its fixation on marriage. No, it can't. We can't move beyond a fixation on marriage because it is the bedrock social institution that God designed for the flourishing of human society. And we've seen over the years What's happened with first no-fault divorce and then the Obergefell decision, which redefined marriage, what happens when you don't uphold the sanctity of marriage? It doesn't result in human flourishing. It doesn't result in, in good for society. It results in great suffering and evil, especially for children. And so you can't move away, even for, for maybe good reasons, like they're saying here. Like these, you know, It's hard for these people who are friends who can't help each other in certain ways. Even for good reasons like that, we can't move away from marriage and the sanctity of it and what God really did design it to be because they're not the same thing. Now, Patricia, back in the green room, you were talking about one of the cases here, they're talking about people who are widows and how are they going to be cared for. You made a comment that I thought was um, appropriate. So, Right, yes. Yeah. So um, like what you're saying, every society is just going to do best if we hold to what the Bible says. And mm-hmm. um, when we look at the Bible, we see that the church community was originally, historically, the institution God um, provided to care for widows and some of these other people who uh, might not have those other support systems. So uh, if, if the church is doing its job and not just functioning as sort of a spectator sport that uh, atomized individuals go and watch every Sunday, um, but is actually uh, doing that support work for the congregation, uh, then a lot of the things that the article is talking about wouldn't even necessarily be issues as much. So again, the problem with the article is it's blurring the lines between marriage and friendship, whereas if we uphold a biblical worldview, we get to keep that social stability, that high view of marriage, uh, but we also address some of the other issues that uh, single people might, might be dealing with. Yeah, so at the end of the article, it talks about how these changes would not only assure protection for people in committed platonic relationships, but it might also psychologically liberate singles. If we could rid the culture of the idea that you're not complete until you're married, single people wouldn't so often internalize the belief that life, no matter how fulfilling, can't truly be whole until they find a spouse. Find a spouse. And I think it's important for us to recognize as Christians because we do hold up marriage as, a, as this wonderful ideal, and it, and it is. But at the same time, if you look at 1 Corinthians 7, Paul talks about how singleness can be a gift as well. And sometimes we miss that in the church. Paul talks about how somebody who is single can devote their entire life to the Lord. They don't have to worry about the caring for their, their spouse all the time. And sometimes in the church, we, I think we neglect that and we try to push people into a relationship all the time that maybe that's not what they're called to be. Now, if, if they are and they are looking for a spouse, okay, fine. But if they're not, maybe don't pressure them all the time because maybe... God has called them to that life of singleness, and they have that gift. Not everybody does. So I think that it's important to keep that in mind as well. All right, our next one. Wrongful birth lawsuits show our culture has once again embraced eugenics. And uh, if you're not familiar with eugenics, good birth, right? That's, so the idea is that um, about 100 years ago or so, a little over that, people were investigating, like, how can we ensure that only the strong and healthy human survive. So maybe if uh, a child is born with deformities, well, we just kind of get rid of them because we don't want them to reproduce and have more deformities. Or those who are mentally handicapped, maybe we don't let them reproduce. And so only the, the 
best and brightest among us can do that, and that way society would be perfect, right? Well, it doesn't work that way. And what we've seen is that there are certain lawsuits going on and different types of one. One is sometimes where a, a child is born with some of these deformities, and as they grow up, they end up suing their parents. Like, why did you let me be born? Which is a really odd one. This one is different. Um, so let's see, we went to Avery first last time. Patricia, how is this one different? <laughs> Go for it. Oh, All right. Okay. So, the, so wrong, the wrongful birth lawsuits in this case are parents who are suing because their child who has a disability, that disability um, should have been detected in utero, but was not. And so their child was born. And if they had have known their child would have that disability, they would have had an abortion. And so they're suing because their child was allowed, was wrongfully born when that child shouldn't have been. And when, when it comes to eugenics, you're talking a little bit about historical eugenics, which is basically applying evolutionary principles to human reproduction to be like, how can we make human society better, healthier, get rid of the poverty and crime because they thought that was all genetic, genetically related if we could get rid of those people. And so it was a horrible, like so many people were forced sterilized. It was a horrible chapter in history. And most people think, well, that's over. Well, parts of it are over, but the worldview permeating that is not gone. It has lived on through the work of places like Planned Parenthood, which was formed founded by eugenicist Margaret Sanger. Um, and we see it even here in these, in these articles with things like wrongful birth, where it's like, no, I wouldn't have chosen this child if I had have known. Therefore, I deserve financial compensation for the fact that now I have to pay to raise this child that I would have chosen to end their life before they were born. But then, of course, that brings up the question, it should immediately make you think, well, what difference does it make killing the child before the child is born versus now that the child is born? It's the same person, just a different location and a different level of development. So there's no difference between killing the child before the child is born and killing the child after the child is that born. That would take care of the quote-unquote problem. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Why Which financial compensation? Both, but both are, in a biblical worldview, we understand both are completely evil because that child is an image bearer of God, fearfully and wonderfully made by him just as he wanted them to be to bring glory to him. That is the purpose of that so, child's uh, life. Another place we see this is with the issue of Down syndrome. Now, Patricia, there mm -hmm. are certain countries like Iceland and Ireland and Denmark, I believe, um, that they claim they have gotten rid of Down syndrome or that they've cured, cured it. Yeah, how do they do that? Well, by um, prenatal genetic screening. So that's where uh, you diagnose the genes of a child uh, prenatally before um, it's born, he or she is born, and then um, you either abort the child or you select which embryos you want based on that. So that's how they've cured it, is by literally destroying all the children who don't yeah, have it. Born. Yeah, so they kill so. all the babies who have it, and then they say they cured it. That's Yes. That's, it's very yeah. sick, and yet it's, that's what's happening. Yeah. About two-thirds of the babies in the United States from about four or five years ago were, were aborted when they detected. And these tests are not always foolproof either, but even if they were, it doesn't matter. I remember it's when a person my, made in God's image. Yeah, when my yeah. niece was, or when my sister was going to have my niece, they had one of those tests, and they said, you know, there's a chance that she would have Down syndrome. And she said, I don't, I don't care. I'm not going to abort my kid. I'm going to love her just the same. Why wouldn't you? This, fully human being right there. Why would you love them any less? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's not just a moral evil like what we've been talking about. Also, just think about the practical implications for society. And um, Because if a society is thinking that it's allowed to kill the most vulnerable human beings because they're imperfect or pose some sort of burden to others, uh, no one is actually safe because all of us, we are finite embodied humans in a fallen world. So all of us not only could become disabled at any minute, but um, we're also eventually, if we live long enough, going to become less able and a burden to our family and to others and to society if we live long enough. So if we think that we can kill our imperfect children because uh, they'll be a burden to us, we're giving the perfect 
kids licensed to kill us someday when we become imperfect and a burden to them. So you have to think through those consequences. And, and it's the devaluing of human life. Right, right yeah. and when your country's value system is based on you know, a more of a secular ideal as to what brings the greatest benefit to the state rather than the value, the, the inherent value in every single individual life, then, well, if the elderly are a drain on the system, if the people who have poor health are a drain on the system, get rid of them so that mm -hmm. we can have people who are not a drain on the system yeah. producing. That's yeah, and this wrongful birth lawsuit, the couple won. It went all the way to the, this was in Austria, it went all the way to the Supreme Court in Austria and the couple won and the doctor who failed to diagnose the child properly has to pay 83,000, uh, $83, has already had to pay around $83,000 and will have to pay more to, for the cost of raising this child. Yeah. Um, can you so, imagine telling your kid where that money came from? Man, yeah, a, poor child. It's victory, just, yeah. it, again, just highlights the, the, the way that human life has been devalued um, because right. of yeah, it's, rejecting it's, God's word. It's very sad. Well, let's get on to a, actually a pretty interesting story, one that actually involves some observational science, and yet the conclusion, we believe, is way <laughs> off. Uh, this is about the Aldabra rail, a bird that is about the size of a chicken. It says that, according to life science, the bird that came back from the dead by evolving twice. You might okay. be wondering, what? <laughs> yeah. wait, what? By the headline, I was thinking, wait, they have this what? creature that they think they, they think they found in the fossil record a long time ago, and then now they see it alive. I'm thinking living fossil. Well, no, that's not what they're talking about here. So this Aldabra is an atoll that's uh, near Madagascar, Tanzania, off the southeastern coast of Africa. And this, they have evidence that this bird, this flightless rail, lived on that island or on that atoll many, many years ago, and then this flooding came through, wiped them all out, and so there's no more of the flightless ones. Well, now there are again. How did that happen? It must have been evolution, right, Patricia? Well, every time, this is this just reminded me of going through my evolutionary biology classes. Every time my textbooks gave examples of evolution, we can see happening. It's always evolution in the sense of what we, from a biblical perspective, would recognize as variation within kinds of living things God created, usually due to a loss of genetic information or variability, which is exactly what we see here. So um, the, the bird basically recolonized as a flighted bird and then lost its flight again. Some All of kinds them of lost mutations. Right, yeah. they're still flight. Ones. Right, yeah. yeah. So the whole time there were flying rails that were alive, so it's not like it came back from the dead. No, there were living flying ones the whole time. They just recolonized and lost their flight again, which is completely consistent with the biblical worldview and not exactly consistent with, with what the headline was saying. Yeah, it didn't evolve twice. It just colonized the same area and lost information. So the Aldabra <laughs> rail became, through evolution, an Aldabra rail. There's Pretty evolution in action for you. <laughs> and, and, and Patricia's right. They use these sorts of examples all the time, yeah. what we'd call change within a kind. And it is generally a loss of genetic information. You can look in the World Book Encyclopedia, and their classic example is going to be the prickly pear and the Galapagos, and now you have tall ones and short ones. And the islands where the tortoises are, there's no more short ones. Why? Because the tortoises eat them, and then the only ones reproducing are the tall ones. It's not evolution. It's not evolution. It's, because if the tortoises were to leave, those short ones would come back. If they were reintroduced, you'd still have them. It's, it's not one thing becoming something different. It's changed within a kind. Mm -hmm. And so this is an interesting case. They, they go through and explain why yeah. maybe they don't, uh, the ones that are now flightless are flightless and um, some interesting observations, but not evolution at all. But those are the examples they give. They give these little variations within a kind. And they say, see, look, if you give it enough time, these little tiny changes can turn into huge changes and be something different. And we've never observed that. And yet that's what they always show in the textbooks. So mm -hmm. 
All right. Well, speaking of flying, or I guess in that case, not flying. And not observing evolution. <laughs> not observing evolution. That's right. Um, secrets of flight. Feathers may reveal which dinosaurs could fly. Well, I think oftentimes feathers probably have something to do with flying. They don't always. Um, and not everything that flies needs to have feathers. But uh, before we get into this, they're not talking about like pterodactyls and pteranodons or anything. Those are technically not considered to be dinosaurs. They're flying reptiles. Uh, what they're talking about are creatures that they have classified as dinosaurs um, that may actually just have been birds, and yet they're arguing that if we study these ones, we can look at the feathers and realize which ones could fly. This, this one was kind of interesting because they looked at specimens of 346 different species of living birds housed in museum collections, so like extant birds. I don't think the birds themselves were alive, just the, bird, the species are still alive. Um, and then fossil specimens representing 35 different species of what they call feathered dinosaurs and extinct birds. So if I was going to write that sentence, I would just write it as they looked at the species of living birds and then they looked at fossil specimens of birds because that's what they found. They found creatures with full flight feathers. You go through and read the article and they talk about about how these amazing feathered dinosaurs have the same number of feathers and, and flight feathers, primary flight feathers, as modern birds do because they were just birds. Yeah. <laughs> and birds look like birds and they act like birds and they flew like birds because they were birds. And they have similar patterns to the, the, the way they develop. Why? Because they have a similar, crea they have the same creator who made yep. them that way because it works. Yep, yeah. exactly. So because like what you're saying, they're looking at creatures with flight feathers. That is one really big hint that we know. They were just looking at birds. So just some <laughs> things to keep in mind. And actually um, we have uh, a YouTube series coming out right now that is super cool. Yes. Talking about feathered dinosaurs and how do you know if it's a dinosaur or if it's a bird? So highly encourage you to hop on our YouTube channel and check that out because it's pretty pretty phenomenal, um, amazing content that they're putting out there. And the first one with Joel Lineweber and Dr. Gabriella Haynes came out a couple weeks ago. I highly recommend that one. Um, mm -hmm. Just fascinating. Our Genesis YouTube channel is great. Yeah. We're going to I plug agree. ourselves. <laughs> well, <laughs> but another thing I thought was really interesting before we move on from this one real quick is they talk about how um, the number of primary feathers, they said it changes over extensive time periods, indicating a slow evolutionary pace. And then they went on to say that primary feather count is a stable characteristic within bird lineages. So in other words, it didn't evolve. It stayed the same. And they're, but they're talking about how this new study shows them this information about the history of, of evolution in feathers but nothing changed. They're like, it's so slow that it's stable in bird lineages, which is the opposite of what's supposed to happen with evolution where things are supposed to be changing. So anything serves as evidence for evolution really is. And you should probably know if you, if you don't realize this, that, but if you look up birds and what they're classified as, nowadays they're not classified as avies necessarily. They are supposed to be dinosaurs because yeah. they've changed the definition avian, of dinosaurs. They're avian dinosaurs. Yeah. And so they have reclassified them as dinosaurs. So they have non-avian dinosaurs, and then they have avian dinosaurs, which we would call birds. Mm -hmm. And uh, so they've reclassified that. That way they can play a little shell game in a sense yeah. as far yeah. as which ones, which ones were feathered dinosaurs. Actually, they're just birds. A duck but, by any uh, other name. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to duck. pay attention to that as you're reading articles because it can get confusing sometimes. You'll be reading it and you'll be like, what are we talking about? Is it a bird? Is it a dinosaur? And you'll be like, okay, 
flight feathers. Okay, we're talking about a bird. Let's <laughs> pay attention for that. <laughs> all right, well, that is all the time we have for our articles today. And actually, we got through them on time. So, yes. uh, Avery, you want to tell us real quickly about ABC Homeschool, and then Patricia will tell us about our next item. Yes, yeah, so ABC Homeschool is a resource from Answers in Genesis that is a four-year homeschool course. that goes through the whole Bible chronologically. Year four is just releasing now. It'll be shipping soon, so that's really exciting. Um, and it goes through apologetics, theology, doctrine. It has a gospel emphasis right from the beginning. So if you do homeschool, this is a really, really wonderful resource to do for your Bible class. And um, me and Brian Osborne um, have done the videos for those called Building Blocks, which if you're an Answers TV subscriber, you can watch those. Or if you buy the curriculum, you can watch them as well. And those are really fun. We do all kinds of crazy things on the show to teach kids about a biblical worldview and about God's word. So that's just one of the fun resources we have that you can it's, check out. That'll yeah, be an awesome addition to your homeschooling. It's really good. Brian Osborne's second best show that he does. So <laughs> <laughs> his best ones with me. Yeah, but, well, uh, I'm going to disagree with that. But. <laughs> speaking of great resources, Patricia, why don't you tell us about Prepare to Thrive? Yes. So this is a book for helping Christian students um, prepare for and then navigate secular university or even Christian universities. They can be compromised without losing their biblical worldview. It talks about how to build the foundations you need to go into that environment, how to keep them up in that environment how to exercise biblical critical thinking skills, to think like an apologist yourself in response to the new information you're learning in your classes. So this is like all the top information um, that I've uh, come across based on my own experiences as a, secular, uh, as a student at Secular University and from talking to Christian students all around the world. It's all packed in there for parents and students. We have study guides available that you can go through with youth groups or campus ministry groups or families. So that is a resource available for you. And if you didn't catch it, who wrote it? Oh, I wrote it. <laughs> So, yeah, you want to make sure you get it that. It is a great resource. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us today, and we'll see you next time. God bless. See ya.